0: So hello, it's Mike Wheeler, co-host of Agility at Work with Kim Leary. How are you doing today, Kim? I'm
1: um, Very well, Mike. It's good to hear your voice. Very excited to be in conversation with you again.
0: I'm wondering, Kim, have you read any books recently that you'd recommend that we either read or stay away from?
1: <laughs> Actually, I'm reading a, a wonderful book by a colleague from the Kennedy School, Yorick de Young. Uh, his book on agents of change, which is actually very much uh, resonant with what we'll be taking up today. Uh, Thinking about public values, thinking about how people come together to try to get things done, but they each have a slightly different view of what should be done uh, and what the problem should be. Uh, Highly recommend the book. It's a really great way of thinking about innovation in a public context.
0: Well, I guess I've got to match you not just in a book, but also a book that comes out of the Kennedy School. This is JFK. It's uh, volume one of what will be a two-volume series about John F. Kennedy from his birth in 1917 through the 1956 elections by Frederick Logeville. I don't know him, but the book has gotten uh, great reviews, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and uh, for what now is uh, history, uh, I strongly commend it to other people. We're going to have a conversation with uh, two people who uh, have a lot to bring to the table. We've got Samantha Stevens and Noah Suskine, both are with uh, McKinsey. Samantha's going to tell us about what she does in the way of agile leadership, adaptive leadership, which is your bailiwick. Uh, Let's get uh, Samantha and uh, Noah in to join us on Agility at Work. So here we are with uh, Samantha and Noah. I've known Noah, as you know, Kim, for uh, forever, basically, and uh, we're just meeting Samantha now. But Samantha, so nice you could join us uh, today.
2: Thank you so much for having us today. We're really excited to be here.
0: Well, it's going to be a two-way street or a four-way street. This is the first time we've had a quartet, actually. Noah, great that you're with us as well.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: This may be the most I speak for this episode. That's probably an exaggeration. But Kim, your field at the Kennedy School is adaptive leadership. And that's exactly what Samantha does at at McKinsey. And uh, I want to hear more about her work. I don't think any of us are in favor of uh, ossified leadership, but I want to know what adaptive leadership means. I think our other listeners do too. And of course, you're on the receiving end of that, I understand, Noah. So please feel free to jump in at any time. Could I ask you, Samantha, what do you mean by agile leadership or, or adaptive leadership?
2: So when I talk about adaptive or agile leadership I, I'm really thinking about leadership as being a more of a change agent that's focused on trying to shape an environment where cross-functional teams can can thrive um, and a lot of the principles that I that I think about and I try to try to apply in my own, in my own practice is things like having a deep belief in people and their potential as a, as a foundational belief, ensuring that everybody across the organization has an inspiring vision that they're working towards, ideally one that they've had a, have had a voice and say in creating. It's a lot about empowering teams. It's about acting as a coach instead of a, um, a command and control leader, um, playing the role of impediment smasher encouraging experimentation and learning. And really ultimately it's a, a lot of it has to do with being vulnerable yourself and willing to learn in the role.
1: So Samantha, there's that's there's so much that uh, you've just said. Uh, I hear you talking about values. I hear you talking about vision and I hear you talking about uh, teams. You know, when we think about adaptive leadership in the classroom, we're also, uh, you know, it's very resonant with what you've just said about trying to uh, help people to realize that they're in the midst of change and that they have to drive that change themselves if the problem is one that looks different to different stakeholders. Does that square with
2: the way you think too? Yes, absolutely. In our context and environment, we're constantly faced with new and different changes. And so for, for me or any of the other leaders in our organization to be able to predict the solutions to different problems would be, would be crazy. And so a lot of it is about creating the conditions for our teams to be able to navigate and, and, and move forward and make decisions themselves.
1: Yeah. So what's the kind of, um, you know, generic challenge for which you think uh, a, a, an agile approach is better than command control. Just so our listeners can get a, a feel for the, the the way you're thinking,
2: I can speak about it from from my own personal perspective. So, one one challenge that I that I face, especially in the technology realm, when we have things like cybersecurity, design, constant changes in technology happening, is that one leader. Simply cannot know everything that they need to know in order to be um, a, an effective command and control leader. We just don't have the knowledge or or expertise. The another another reason why this is so important is because um, things are changing so so quickly, and to be able to stay on top of all of those changes and to be an effective decision maker would be would be quite quite challenging. And so you really have to find ways to put the decision making as close to where the information is as as possible in order to be able to effectively navigate and respond to all these forces that are at work.
0: Can I jump in with a question? This is Mike jumping in and with four of us, we should identify ourselves. But does this come to you naturally, Samantha, or is it something that you were schooled in?
2: No, it does not. It does not come naturally to me. I think I think back to myself about about a decade ago, and I was very much um, somebody who focused on my specific problem and um, really actually avoided engaging with and working with other people as much as I could as a strong as a strong introvert. So this is definitely something that I have had to learn, and the way I learned that I've learned it um, in a lot of different ways. Um, in undergraduate and in, in business school, I took as many courses as I could on organizational behavior and leadership. I've read over 30 books. I've gone to formal courses like Certified Agile Leadership. I, I basically consumed as much information as I could. Um, that only takes you so far. What, I, what I've what i had to have the courage to do is just go out there day to day and try to put some of the principles into into practice. And that was really scary, (laughs) but, um, but I think what I've, what I've been constantly surprised is, is really how, how well it can work. If I look back five years ago, leadership wasn't really a theme that would show up in my performance reviews, and now it's at the top. So I, I have a lot of, I've gotten a lot of feedback and evidence that it's working.
1: You know, that's such a a great story of your your own leadership trajectory. But I want to go back to something else that you said that I I was just really interested in. Mm -hmm. The way in which the world around us has changed so much, and I'd love to get Noah in on this too, um, where you know even if you wanted to be in that command and control, even if you hadn't had the kind of uh, intellectual discovery that you've had, Samantha, I hear you saying, that there's just too much information in the world right now. And it, it and it's moving so quickly with such volatility that it's not really possible for people to go it alone. Does that, that get you right, Samantha? Noah, you have a thought about that?
3: One of the interesting ways of looking at this is in terms of trust. Um, A command and control model is low trust, whereas a more adaptive or agile leadership is more high trust in the sense that you're empowering teams to um, improvise. And um, in the same sense that like to drive from New York to Boston, you don't need headlights that shine hundreds of miles. There are ways of empowering teams to adapt, such as by um, giving them access to a security subject matter expert, um, before, during, and after they roll out some new code so that it is you know, compliant with like security by design and it's evolving through small changes along the way instead of um, requiring a massive amount of, of, of rework at the end. It, and yet at the same time, the way trust is viewed within the security field has evolved. At the beginning of the internet, it, every, everybody was trusted. Everybody had access to huge amounts of the internet. Then more recently, things moved towards a trust but verify where we instituted more controls around authentication. And then maybe most recently, a lot of firms are embracing something called zero trust, which is don't trust and verify. And you might think of that in terms of who has access to your uh, environment or system or product. And so there's some really interesting, challenging, but manageable questions around trust in the way that everybody needs to be operating in an agile way, given the way everything is changing so radically.
0: No, I'm just wondering, you know, we're going to dig in. I hope we'll get you back at some point to talk uh, about the cybersecurity stuff that you do. But you aren't a solo practitioner. You actually work with a team, a small team, but that has to get coordinated as well. Is there anything particular about your domain of cybersecurity that, Means you're generally doing in the way of leadership uh, what Samantha's doing, uh, but it presents its own specific challenges or opportunities for that matter.
3: Yeah, there's actually a lot of negotiation in security. And one place where that comes up is a firm may have decided on a particular policy or procedure, and then enforcing that can be a challenge so imagine a security professional is talking to the owner of a digital product and the security professional or one of their teammates has identified a vulnerability in their product and you need to negotiate you know do we prioritize this how quickly should it be documented do we have the budget how do we approve if this needs to be an exception There's a lot of negotiation there, even if it's in the context of there's a thing we really need to have happen and we're not just going to let a team wing it.
0: Sam, if we can get you back in the conversation, I'm just wondering whether your adaptive leadership is global and basically different parts of, of the firm have different responsibilities, but just in your own personal experience... Do you have to adjust, and would you recommend that other people in your situation adjust according to whether you're working with engineers or people who are doing consulting or whatever the case may be, or is it a one size fits all?
2: Personally, my my experience has been that it works in in all contexts. And actually, when we started the, when we started our journey and our transformation, all of the leaders there were we started with a group of about. 15 or 16 of us that went through training together and that eventually expanded to about 150 50 people within our technology function who all um went through the same same learning and training to to begin to build this sort of perspective and approach the reason why i think it works so well is because it plays to a lot of the just inherent um motivation characteristics of humans, right? Um, If you're acting more as an agile leader, you're basically setting the conditions for more autonomy, mastery, and purpose. If you take Daniel Pink's Pink's framework, um, it essentially creates the space for people to be more motivated and driven and to do their their best work. And I think that applies in, in almost all contexts. Now, there are moments where a more command and control approach makes a lot of sense. If there's um, a crisis and there's a there's a very specific prot- protocol that needs to be followed, or if the task is very simple and, and repeatable and doesn't require a lot of creativity, there, there are these moments where you wanna be able to pull in those other more directive leadership approaches. But I find that especially where there's a lot of ambiguity, uncertainty, creativity, um, taking this more agile leadership approach tends to be much more effective.
1: Samantha, thank you for that. Because I was going to ask you, you know, as you're talking about you and Noah about being a- adaptive and being agile, you know, you a- and how appealing that is, of course, you're also now uh, helping us to appreciate that it's the problem that drives the kind of leadership that's needed, right? Mm. That when you, uh, that, as you said, in a crisis or, if you're in the operating room, for example, you don't want a lot of improvisation there, right? Uh, you, you, you want people to be following the protocols. So I wonder if we could think a little more about that out loud, of just um, you know the kind of problems that teams might bring to you and how you would help them to think through where do they need to be agile and where do they need to kind of rely on structures uh, to get the kind of coordination that they need in order to move solutions forward,
2: it's a great question. We've been part of part of the transformation journey that we've been on has actually been to design and introduce the structures, processes, um, metrics, etc., that that enable strategic alignment and agility at scale. So, um, I don't I don't actually think those things are necessarily counter to agility. In fact, if you do it right. Um, getting to some, some standard, some standardization can actually be quite helpful and, and freeing. So, so one example for us is as an organization, we've introduced OKR's quarterly goal setting as a practice at scale. So all, all teams across the organization set their quarterly goals at around the same time we share them, we talk about them, and that enables us to stay aligned and, and, um, and, and in sync across the organization. Now, each team is then able to go within the quarter and go go be agile and go figure out how to solve the, the challenges that that are in in front of them. So it really is about how do you how do you introduce the right level of structure, process, um, practices that sort of create harmony across the organization while still, and still enabling a, a high degree of, of autonomy and creativity within the teams. And we're constantly trying to find that right, that right balance. We get it wrong a lot of the time, and we have to sort of adapt and respond. Um, but slowly over time, we're getting closer and closer.
3: I'm a very appreciative like user of the system that Sam has created, Sam and others have created here, especially when it comes to managing the day-to-day work, especially in the age of COVID. And um, putting on my sort of recruiting hat, one of the things I really appreciate about being at McKinsey and in the technology and digital function is it's not about FaceTime, it's not about hours, it's about outcomes. And when you have worked with your team to, and coordinated with other teams about like what are you trying to achieve in a year or in a quarter, it allows you to plan your work, for example, in you know, short-term sprints, as they're called. And just communicate about what's what's getting done, where do we need to clear blockers. For me, it's actually allowed me to make sure I manage the hours I work carefully so I can you know, live the rest of my life, including as a husband, as a father. And even especially in COVID, when everyone's working from home, it makes sense to be able to coordinate about how you're going to do work as a team in terms of the outcome and not like being, you know, heads down in the office beside everybody all the time.
0: If I could turn to Samantha, uh, it was so interesting near the beginning when you're talking about your own evolution, your journey, but imagine you were looking to hire somebody who would have some leadership responsibilities, uh, but you're interviewing that person. Can you really tell uh, from an interview that they've got that capability and commitment?
2: Will... And in a growth mindset, I think are the two most critical things. And I say that from personal experience and that I had neither, the, I did not have the skill and I was able to build it, build it over time. So those are the two things I, I, I really do look for. Um, how, how driven and motivated is this individual to achieve, you know, incredible things. And how willing are they to experiment and, and learn and invest in, in, their, in their growth? Because um, I think the rest you can grit your way through.
1: Yeah, I'm also hearing you say that you know, the, the environment in which one is operating is so absolutely important that you might have a growth mindset. But if, uh, if you're being evaluated only on outcomes, some people might play it safe to try to get there. But I also hear you saying that in order uh, to really address the kind of security challenges, the hacks, the attacks that, that come, that, that people have to be freedom to experiment and they have to, be, uh, they have to have some room to make mistakes. And that requires a kind of facilitating
2: environment. Is that fair to say. Def- that's more. That's more than fair to say. In fact, even more important than the individuals, I would say, in any given context, is the environment and the the culture and the space that we create for our colleagues. Right. I think what 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 we what I've learned and what I've seen play out in practice is that changing. Human mindsets and behaviors is incredibly difficult. So whether you're trying to negotiate people to behave in a new way, or you're trying to drive a transformation, if you if you assume that you can just go in there and get people to change, you're going to have a hard time, even using the best change management practices. People are influenced strongly by their environment, and so what um, what I've really focused on in this journey is how do i how do i influence and reshape the environment so that it reinforces and supports the types of mindsets and behaviors we want to see whether that is more secure practices or more agile practices or more of a growth mindset we're constantly looking at what we have in our environment and what is reinforcing and supporting those things and what's getting in the way and adapting and evolving it because we know that that is going to ultimately lead to stronger more persistent behavior change in the long run than trying to um, brute force change individuals mindsets and behaviors
0: well kim you spoke of experiments Uh, we certainly didn't go out on a limb having noah and uh, samantha join us uh, today Uh, i'm so glad that uh, we could get them in and I'm eager to have them do an encore at some point, the sooner the, the better. Any last word uh, for you,
1: Kim? No, I just want to underscore uh, that as both Noah and, and Sam have said, you know, thinking imaginatively about leadership in the time of COVID and post-COVID uh, is really going to be crucial because some of the problems that we're in the midst of managing and the ones that are coming down the pike uh, we we don't have a, a a rule book or a playbook for those. So this is really important work that that both both of you are doing.
0: So thank you very much, Noah. Thank you very much, Samantha. Thanks.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: Well, Kim, that was terrific. And uh, you know, you and I have spoken about the commonalities we have, my interest in agile negotiation and your deep commitment to adaptive leadership. Uh, so I wasn't coming in completely uh, uninformed on this, but I learned a lot. How about you?
1: You know, it really, it was a terrific conversation. You know, in the classroom, you know, we, we both teach, Mike, we've got wonderful students who are uh, eager and ready to learn, uh, but it's it's so wonderful to hear What it's like on the ground when you have a a team that you're trying to manage, when you're either new in a leadership role yourself or you're wanting to take a new perspective uh, and bring that to the team. Our colleagues gave us a lot to think about.
0: Well, lucky us. And I hope that the listeners feel the same
1: way.